0: Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson and through my guests we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com For your curiosity and stoke. Welcome back to the Wave Pool Mag Podcast. Today, we've got Nick Hansfield, who is the founder of the Wave in Bristol. Now, the Wave in Bristol launched in 2019, and it is the first pool of its kind in the world to, to launch. basically launched Wave Garden Cove technology, which is really thrilling to see for a lot of us who are watching the Wave Garden Cove technology. And we've only managed to see the R&D facility beforehand. And then a full scale facility was produced in Bristol and then shortly after in Melbourne. Now, since opening, they've obviously been through quite a few trials and tribulations. Um, COVID's happened. So it's really nice to dig deep with Nick and to understand his journey before opening and after opening. So thanks very much, Nick, for joining us. And here he is. Nick, thanks so much for joining us on the Waypool Mag podcast. It's really great to to have you on, finally.
1: Pleasure. Yeah, really, really good to be here. Yeah, I've been uh, tracking you guys for... Many years now, and yeah it's um it's great you you've pulled together some really great resource, so yeah, thank you for that
0: well, thank you, yeah we've been obviously following you for many years as well, so um yeah, it's very exciting what's happening in Bristol so um it's great to chat to you and I, I know um I think we were going to talk around the time of launch, but I wanted to try and wait for a little bit for it all to settle down sure um so obviously things have settled down, but we'll get into that in a little bit um what can we just go back because your story precedes you I mean I'm sure every one of our listeners has heard your your ten-year tale of trials and tribulations before launching the wave um, at Bristol, and I think you mentioned the idea of having a space is what got you started. What really inspired you to dream up a wave pool back in when was it two thousand and ten? Two thousand and ten
1: was when I first sort of came up, yeah, with an idea of um, yeah of a space which is probably more more uh, sort of health and well being centres, a place where people could come, you know, connect with each other um, outside. Um, eat good food uh be around good people uh reconnect with the outdoors with nature um and you know I've, I've always you know i've been surfing for 42 years i think now maybe 43 years um and uh and it was just serendipity i just w- one day uh one evening just uh sat sat and watched some youtube um stuff and suddenly that day was launched the uh the very very first teaser video of wave garden technology um and so i watched that and yeah kind of was the that the one with
0: mick fanning and the, and the black liner and and all
1: that no even even before that there was one little teaser which was beautiful beautiful misty lake with the wave uh just running through and it looked seriously the the, the wave looked about six inches high and i was like oh that's kind of cool um and then <laughs> the very first the very last cut was somebody surfing it just doing two or three um top turns i was like oh my god it's like they built something inland like that is that was the real eureka moment where i went oh my god i that you know that was it suddenly became my north star that's what i'm heading towards that that will be perfect in what i'm wanting to create and and the rest is a long history
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's some amazing videos back in the day. I think I've seen um, videos from Wave Garden when they're pulling a tractor with pulling a plow behind a tractor through the the, the lake. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. But um, so obviously, being the director of Surfing GB obviously means that you're pretty handy on a surfboard. So when did you first tuck a board on your arm? You mentioned it was 43 years ago. Yeah. Remember that day? About five years old. I don't know if
1: I remember it, um, but I've got all of the cine films and I'm not sure whether having seen all the all the um cine films has sort of ingrained how much of it is is in my mind or how much of it is seeing that that clip so many times um but I definitely definitely remember remember the space remember the feelings you know really hot summer's day down in Cornwall um and uh yeah and that that's you know that was that those were the kind of moments that just memories were made made from um, and actually, we're, we're no, no longer just just for the record. We're no longer Surfing GB. It's now Surfing England. Uh, I'm
0: now um, Surfing England.
1: Yeah, okay. chairman chairman of Surfing England.
0: Yeah. So what's the difference between Surfing GB and England? Was it just a name change or uh, or oh, politics? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Sorry, Great Britain's the whole deal, and then England. <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: it's a, there's a whole there's a whole load of stuff behind there, but fundamentally, let's focus on England and get that
0: right. Okay. Surfing England. (laughs) So back to Cornwall. Um, Were you living in Cornwall? Because obviously for the people out there around the world who don't know the UK, Cornwall is the surfing mecca of of the UK, right? Um, Yeah. And did you live close by? or Were you you in Cornwall? No,
1: not at all. I was living in the southeast uh, near London. Um, My family, well, my grandparents uh, um, lived right down by the coast literally on the coast of uh, near Brighton Uh, and I spent loads and loads of time or most summers down there uh, weekends with my dad and my dad taught me to surf, sail, um, swim, uh, fishing all those kind of things Uh, so I was always glued to the ocean Um, and then in our big summer holidays we would go down to make back then it was like an 11-hour trip down to Cornwall and stay there for two or three weeks and, um, immerse myself in, in, in wave and, and uh, surf culture back then, which the surf culture back then was, I, I literally got some, some lovely grainy videos of it. Uh, we're literally talking about, um, beautiful, beautiful surfing days and there's like five people out. Whereas now that would be a hundred people out. Um, there are very few surfboards around, uh, definitely no wetsuits. Um, and I think it was you know, right at the start of some of the some of the sort of early pioneering people coming over.
0: That's hardcore surfing surfing England without a wetsuit.
1: Yeah, no, it's doable in in mid-winter, uh, mid-summer, I mean, but yeah, not, not not most of the other time.
0: But you mentioned Brighton, and I think it was Bournemouth or Brighton. I'm not sure where they actually tried to have um, an an artificial reef. Was it yeah, Bournemouth? That's-
1: yeah that was in Bournemouth, yeah so a little bit further um west um but yeah they there was a big scheme, i think it was a sort of few few million pounds scheme to basically submerge a reef underwater um and try to create a peeling peeling bank um but unfortunately um it went slightly wrong, and I think the whole reef ended up. Uh, lifting and uh, started to drift off into the English Channel. So I think that that was – yeah, I I think it left a lot of scars around the whole place, both environmentally and – and yeah, from from surf culture wise, I think a lot of money got uh, got lost through that venture.
0: That was a sad story. But but uh, I was talking to Greg Weber some time ago down in Australia, and um, they seem to have one very successful one down in Australia. Have you looked at that technology at all in great detail?
1: Not in great great detail. No, I've, I've, pretty much everything's been flashed past me over the last um, number of years. Um, but you know, fundamentally, what you need you know you need perfect you need a perfect reef or some kind of way you know way in which the waves can break and and also you need to make sure that you've got the ability to produce some waves you know that's that's the the perfect scenario and and I I would I would say that Bournemouth is a great place I love Bournemouth but probably isn't the most wave rich place to to really harness uh some kind of submerged reef so you know i I don't know the politics around it, but I just can't believe that it wasn't done somewhere around sort of North Cornwall, which is where they've already got um you know pretty pretty good waves coming through but it yeah, um, would make a lot more sense, wouldn't it yeah, exactly
0: yeah. okay, so the wave in Bristol, that journey, so when you started in your journey to create a wave pool, what fueled your inspiration to keep you going because it must have been really difficult in those early days just trying to get something done
1: yeah um. What fuels me or what did fuel me? I would say, um, I guess, ha- having having a real mission and a purpose, uh, I guess, really comes back to why I'm wanting to do, you know, why we wanted to do that, um, which is around, you know, creating creating impact, uh, making, I guess, without being too cliche, but making, trying to leave society in a better place than where I found it. Uh, I really wanted to, I've always been, I've worked in the healthcare sector for approximately 17 years before that, and how I could see that the, benef- the, the benefits of surfing, blue health, being in water, being around water, and how that brings a great sense of um, mental and physical well-being, and realizing that that was the surfing is the tool to be able to create that on a mass level. I, I was an osteopath, so I could only. Treat people, you know, literally one patient at a time, uh, and I was frustrated by that. Um, and then suddenly I go, well, actually, there must be a way of impacting people's health and well-being on a much bigger scale. And that's then when the the sort of that's where the story started, really, in terms of starting to create that vision of of really creating a space that could impact people's health and well-being in the long term but using surfing as that tool to excite people into a space but then deliver an exceptional experience that will will lift people's spirits lift people's um health and well-being but also just be kind of fun at the same time rather than sweating in a gym or needing to go you know on you know long plodding runs You, you get fit and healthy just just by having fun—that's. That, yeah, I just it.
0: think that. I mean, there must be many other ways to be able to create that goal of having, you know, impacting people positively through health. Um, hmm. Starting a wave pool um, that's never been done before must have been, yeah, it must have been a massive, massive decision to make. Or did it not feel that way at the time?
1: It didn't. Didn't feel like that way way at the time because um, I was completely naive. I had absolutely yeah. no <laughs> idea what it was going to take. I, Best I mean, where to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, honestly, I would say that my probably one of my superpowers originally was just complete naivety because actually if you really knew what it was going to take you possibly would have not done it um so 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 it's fine Uh, and you know and and you know now we're looking at you know you know future sites and develops and stuff you know I, i go into it with i don't i don't go into it with trepidation but i just Go into it with experience, and which is great because you've got loads to lean on from there, and we've got an amazing team around us. But um, back then, actually, it was naivety, tenacity, and surrounding ourselves with good people who believed in that same vision, having real alignment. That's that's what
0: won the day. Talking about good people, uh, I mean, Craig Stardust obviously been a, a your partner for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, where, where did you meet him, and how did that start? Was it was it quite a way into the project?
1: No. Um, so actually, his wife Katie uh, was um, at college with me. Both went to osteopathic college um, uh, way back in the, in the late '90s. Um, uh, I think she was a couple of years below me, um, and uh, she moved to Bristol, uh, and then um, she met Craig, and then uh, we, you know, all hit up, uh, hit it off in terms of good friendships. Um, and then it was later, um, much later, probably about 10 years later that, um, uh, I started to, I think we went to a, a pub meal one, one, uh, one Christmas time and, uh, I was told him about it and he just kept asking me questions and more questions and more questions and more questions. And, uh, and I think he, he called me up a couple of days later. as like, I really love what you're doing. Um. Can I help you? And and that's sort of st- he started started off um, just a sort of early seed investment um, with me, and then and but also sort of really you know he had a full time job anyway, um, but then came came on board um, you know giving me you know some um, non non exec sort of uh, as a di- non exec director just helping me through some some tricky stages. Uh, and then eventually sort of went all in and said Look, let's just let's just you know in fact I think he said right you know right at that start he said well, i'm going to give you you've got i think he said something like maybe it was a year you've got a year of my time to let's get this off the ground um and yeah roll forwards about seven years and he's yeah there there, um, charging hard,
0: excellent, yeah, well, I mean you've done so much press so so congratulations for that, it must feel like a long treadmill to do that all the time, but I recall one interview where you suggested that your your rock bottom moment on the wave journey was almost losing the land. What happened there? So it was, yeah,
1: it was trying to get this land deal done meant quite a few landowners having to pull them all together and make sure that everybody's kind of doing the deal at the same time. Uh, and there was just a moment um, where where some yeah one of the landowners. Um, uh, lost faith I think in me I uh, I, I don't blame him l- looking back because <laughs> I've kind of tested everyone's patience around around the time not not least my wife um but uh I think just lost it a bit lost a bit of faith in me in my ability to pull it off um and um and so yeah there was just one really tricky moment where. Uh, It felt like all was lost. And even the people, even the real optimist around me, and I'm massively optimistic, uh, even the optimist around me, like, I think that that might be the nail in the coffin. Um, And, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I recount my I was upstairs in in my bedroom, just sat first time ever properly slumped down on the on the bed. Just like, oh my God, I think that this is this is done. And then my my youngest son, he's pro- he was probably about six at that time, just came up to me and just said, oh, "Don't worry, Dad. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to um, you'll be able to solve it. You always do." Um, and that was, you know, that was that was the moment to me. I was like. Like right, yeah i've got to do it you know i've gone i've come too far to only come this far um i'm going to i'm going to call this this landlord right now i'm going to go to his house and sort that out and and it did it sorted it out and that was i guess that was the real that was the only moment where i i properly was in despair um
0: wow yeah and how many years was that in um oh man that was
1: Probably, 2000 and, probably 2016, 17, something like that.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was quite advanced. So there's, there's lots oh, it was pretty amazing. advanced. Yeah.
1: I mean, we we yeah, we yeah had we had everything ready to go pretty much. Uh, and, uh, and it was like, yeah, feeling like the rug had been pulled under all of us. In fact, we were just about to do the investment deal. And obviously, we needed all the alignment to be able to do the investment deal. Uh, and that was yeah, potential, um, you know, showstopper, but yeah, we got there.
0: Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Um, Another milestone that might've been quite significant was, was a moment when you realized that you were fully funded and it was full steam ahead. Was that an incredible time?
1: Yeah. I kind of, um, you know, that, that was a long old journey to, you know, we were, that was two and a half years to really properly find the funding. Uh, You know, myself and Craig, you know literally trudging the streets of um well anywhere but mainly london um but we did fly all to all sorts of places to try and um, get the deal done uh until we found you know the perfect investor for us so which was great um so there was a massive relief i mean uh the amount of work get, you know all the due diligence stuff that has to be done to be able to um Try and mitigate the risks there. I mean, there's always there's always risks, but for us in particular, first first full scale development um, of this technology, you know, there was a lot of risk in there, uh, and you know, hats off to our investors for mm-hmm. for you know, standing by us really. Um, and also, again, that sort of tenacity, particularly from Craig's point of view, because he's very—he was very much sort of l- leader of of the deal making and you know, trying to negotiate all of that. Um, uh, yeah, it was. Ma- yeah, it was. It was weird. It was. It's been. It's been like this the whole way through. Is as soon as we get over a a kind of milestone, immediately looking at the next milestone. So I honestly don't think that we've ever, ever, still yet really celebrated what we've achieved because there's always something something coming around the corner again
0: yeah, um, and saying that i guess that opening day must have been bizarre at Bristol because you finished this 10-year marathon and you're only just at the starting blocks really oh,
1: I, I mean as soon as as soon as i was those words came out of my mouth i w- immediately went straight to you know our our opening day where we just go we thought it was hard now it's even harder <laughs> it's like we have not now got thousands of people with their eyes and ears on everything that we've done um you know we could no longer um manage we can't re- we couldn't really manage that the, the sort of comms and the pr and you know it's it's like it's laying yourself completely bare to to You know, the adventures and, you know, the opportunities, but also the criticism Uh, and, you know, particularly for us being brand new and some things went brilliantly well. Some things didn't go so well. Uh, Oh, man, that was that was it was brutal Um, in in, in you know, positively and negatively. It was just like just a roller coaster of emotions every single day yeah
0: because I mean you were the first wave park with the new technology but uh, essentially Andy Ansco who's been doing um, Snowdonia for a while before then mm-hmm. did you manage to draw any any mess did you have any work did you work with him and, and try and figure out stuff operationally with him as well or no? we didn't actually which you know with hindsight was was a bit of a mistake I mean we did
1: I mean quite a few of the people from surf snowdonia um came down and wanted to work with us so we did have some some sort of um idea of things that went really well and things that you know needed improving um so we did get a, a fair bit of steer from that um and of course the surf community is really small so you get you know without a doubt you hear 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 the grumbles and you hear hear the things that that really went well and so we just tried to sort of um, uh, install some of the really good stuff and try to mitigate some of the things that maybe have, have, you know, could have been improved and stuff. Um, But, you know, hats, hats off to Andy, you know, he was, he was, he was, you know, the real pioneer in terms of installing something just really cutting edge um and and making it work um so uh yeah hats off always to Andy and I still haven't met up with him recently uh, it'd be good to do it again yeah it must be a bit difficult right now it's all
0: are you guys still locked down in the UK right now
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're still, uh,
0: 29th of March, we reopen, So not too far away. So we're all locked down here in Portugal as well. Same story. But um, yeah, I remember chatting to one of your team a few years back and you were all tasting coffee to see what type of coffee would go into the cafe. How much detail did you put into the F&B research? Because that's quite a big component of the park, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Huge, really. I mean,
1: I think fun- fund I mean, fundamentally the good thing about having having taken nearly sort of at that time sort of nine years to be able to get the the whole whole facility up and running is uh i was able to take time to really think about you know what our values are you know what how do we want to be where start to pull uh, different um experiences that i've and my team and uh you know and as a family go yeah that really works you know and so actually what i found is 10 years of being a magpie just like what works what doesn't work and really gleaning you know what's good service look like what's bad service look like and what's a good cup of coffee look like and what's the taste and the smell and you know really looking at that sensory um explosion that we could create and try to try to then be able to um uh instill that in the team and go like this is why it matters that's why that cup of coffee has to be on point because this is all part of you know the sensory input into people's brains to then go this is this is this is just a great place um and and create a good culture uh and so i think we you know, going back to the F&B, uh, you know, started to actually just had a philosophy. We had a philosophy laid down quite quickly. Um, and then it's around bringing the right team, uh, you know, Dan and Tina, who head up our team. Just amazing. Who then take that philosophy and then as chefs just can run with it. Um, and everything they come back to me with is, you yeah, super good. It's like what we call super wavy. It's like really wavy because it's just... It takes all of the principles and the philosophy, also adds into that the triple bottom line, the way we want to do things, do things um, do business uh, and then create an experience that then is you know hopefully well matched to the clientele, our customers who come and come and surf with us.
0: Mm-hmm. Were there any inspirational cafes and things that stood out in your in your journeys? Because obviously you must have been going around from cafe to cafe and restaurant to restaurant, thing like you said, saying, "Well, that works, that works, yeah, that oh, loads." Um, and,
1: and again, uh, you know, a lot of them Cornish based. There's so some really, really amazing. You know, there's there's some amazing chefs come out of out of London and, and relocated down in in Cornwall and just really creating that balance of amazing food, Amazing service, um, but done at a price point which is accessible for people. Um, so there's low, and you know we did a, you know, lots of uh, touring around different pop-ups. Part- particularly pop-ups is such a great, great way of tasting different different dishes, different things, and being being able to glean different um, ideas and put them into a, a kind of philosophy. That then also, you know, as I say, it's important that our chef can put their own Hallmark their stamp on it. Otherwise, you know, I'm it's it's not for me to tell. I'm I'm rubbish at cooking. I you know I could probably do a cheese toastie, um, but yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't sell many cheese toasties. So uh, so yeah, we need to actually just create the the framework and the philosophy by which somebody like Dan has able to just run with and go, actually, this is, this is your space. You know, you are the expert in that go with it, but just set the framework and principles around it.
0: And likewise, do you have an expert for the accommodation? Cause for me, that's looks like one of the most fun parts. I mean, sleeping in your tented accommodation, cause I, I love camping and, and all. And I think a lot of people do these days and it just looks like an amazing glamping setup. Have you slept in them yet?
1: Yeah, definitely slept in them. Uh, and, uh, They're amazing. They're really good. Um, That inspiration, actually, we were looking at doing a project on the Isle of Wight and there's a lovely family, really lovely family called the Turney family. And uh, we were looking at um, doing one in their farm. They've got a really lovely farm. Um, And Tom Turney, um, uh, uh, one of the sons, uh, runs uh, Tom's Tom's Eco Lodge, and so we went and stayed there. Um, and it was exactly the same in terms of safari tent, sort of stilted platforms, but really still immersed in nature. Um, and yeah, we, we stayed there and loved it. And when actually that fits the look and feel, um, particularly building in the green space like we have, we have to be respectful for that environment. So we can't put, you know, proper heavy eco lodges. You know, with foundations and all the rest of it. So it kind of really, it really suited the vibe. Um, and yeah, that's always been, uh, you know, at the front of my mind, reproducing something like that, but obviously right next to a surfing wave.
0: Yeah. Light on the ground. I mean, you should go to, I don't know if you've ever been to Africa and, and, and stayed in any of those game lodges down there, but I used to work in one and it's amazing what they can do with tented accommodation these days. Phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've spent many, many nights
1: in Africa. Love it.
0: Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> gets in your blood, I think.
1: Yeah. Totally. Oh, totally.
0: But obviously you've completed the pool in Bristol and I'm sure COVID has presented many challenges, um, but is there still a desire to create more waves around the world hundred percent hundred percent
1: yeah no n- yeah uh, more than ever uh, I think there's two things it's still as you know it's a nascent industry, yeah there's lots of proposed wave pool surf parks all over the place. you know how many of them will actually come to being realized uh i'm I'm doubtful in you know in a lot of them and I think there's also a lot of them that will come to fruition which is great and for us it's really about really picking picking the areas where which is suits us in terms of demographic the right places the right land uh how are we able to make sure that that health and well-being comes through on a site um, and obviously it's centered around the wave and 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 the wave pool but um, also making sure it's much broader than that Uh, One because it's such an important objective for us from the vision, and secondly, it you know obviously makes economic sense to be appealing to quite a broad church as well. Um, So yeah, there's still a huge opportunity, and I think uh, you know the most important opportunity is actually the shift, hopefully the cultural shift now in terms of people realizing that more than ever is around connecting to people, connecting to nature and how we've lost a year of our lives because we've not been able to do that and how valuable that is and how i think we'll we'll be moving towards a much more experience led economy tourism or con- economy as well as people you know hopefully will not be thinking that they're going to be feeling happy because they've bought stuff um got the biggest stuff or the best stuff or the newest stuff but actually governed by experiences governed by the connection to people and to the planet and that for us you know unintentionally in some ways completely plays into the hand of people who want to run those in the right way and i make that that distinction doing it in the right way if you do it in the right way then i think that you can create an incredible space that will create memories that people will cherish um and um and a connection um, You know. Hopefully, a connection to a brand that you, that you value and 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 trust and respect, and also brings together communities that equally you trust and respect. Um, so
0: yeah, yeah, I think experiential tourism has been a trend for a long time, and then maybe COVID has definitely, probably, you know, shrunken it back because we we ha- we can't have it anymore, and then it's going to just bounce back in a, like an elastic band. When when I'm
1: really sure, I'm really sure that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, but talking about. The the desire to create more waves. There's no secret about London project. Um and obviously I'm I'm you know respectful of, of your company policy and I wanna, wanna ask any secrets. But are, are there any other plans as well? Any other locations that you're looking at that you can share? Uh there are.
1: <laughs> Not that I can share, I don't think. Um I you know, I think okay, as as a as a principle is that we're we're looking at new venues, um, but also we're looking at venues that have been maybe proposed and things have been on hold for various reasons uh, as probably as good as you'll get from me tonight
0: okay but um and, and london sorry i don't want to push the point but london is still on is it yeah 100 yeah
1: you know L- L- london is yeah is is a jewel in the gra- jewel in the crown really uh you know that was uh it's such a such an epic location to do to do the right thing um and again uh i think that we will be knocking on the door of um of somebody who's really, you know, you know, particularly, a, a, you know, a council and and a landowner who really, you know, all of our visions are aligned, and so it's it's a no brainer. It's just it's just mechanics and planning and going through um, important processes. But yeah, fundamentally, yeah, it'd be amazing to bring something to to London. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah,
0: London. Yeah, it must be incredible. Just flying yeah. in. But yeah. now I want to talk about technology quickly because. Um, you know, I'm not sure if you you must be familiar with Surfline Sessions technology. i not. I don't know if you know about that, where you wear a, um, an iPhone, an Apple Watch, mm-hmm. go out for a surf in front of a webcam, and then it automatically tracks you, yeah. and records it and and serves it up in an app to So surely that would work amazingly at Bristol. Have you guys looked at something like that? Oh, we've got we've we've got lots of plans uh, from
1: you know in terms of that sort of video capture. Um, you know, we've been talking. those guys but also um you know got our our own um sort of uh technology that wave gardens sort of producing um fundamentally you know we've not you know the reality is that we've not been open we've probably been closed more than we've been open because of covid and also we've not been open in in the silly season yet in in spring and summer uh you know we've 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 done two hard winters of, of um, being open and haven't had the sort of um, the fun of being open in summer. So, you know, realistically, we've still got a lot of learning to still go through, um, probably some pinch points and pain to go through. And yeah, we rel- relish the opportunity of that. Um, but, you know, baby steps, this is, you know, we're not we're not trying to, you know, we're not building something that we're going to flip in a year's time or anything like that. We're building something that should be um, create real stickiness in terms of the experience, and and yeah, you make you 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 rush into things uh, at your peril. So just nice and steadily, we'll be introducing different different things, different experiences, um, things that are surfing, things that are not surfing, and just build that, um, and then of course make sure that we're then fitting that in in future destinations that we're going to be building um but yeah you just can't just can't do everything too quickly you know and i i'm i am the worst i mean i absolutely i'm probably such a pain in the ass to most of the team because i'm so impatient i've always got loads of ideas it never ever can be done quick enough um uh, which is good, uh, but also it needs to be tempered with some reality, a bit of focus in certain areas. Just make sure that we're delivering, get the core really good, and then you can uh, you know build up from there.
0: Yeah, I like taking a little bit of a, of a step back and looking at the whole wave pool industry. When you look at the wave pool tech providers out there now, what can you see happening in the marketplace? I mean, Wave Garden appears to be still leading. If you count the sheer number of their projects, I just spoke to to Sean a couple of weeks ago, Sean Young, and. Uh, and he said there were forty three Wave Garden projects, which is you know overshadows everybody else. But there are these new new competitors coming in all the time. So what do you what do you make of that? What's gonna happen there?
1: Um, just yeah, just keeping a real close eye on everything really. I mean, we we've got, you know, unbelievable connections to um, to Wave Garden, um, and you know, and not just from a business point of view. I mean, um, you know, uh, Hostman, Fernando, and Karin, I would count as you know really good friends of mine, and loads of the team, and you know, our team are still um, hugely integrated. Um, but also, yeah, why you know it makes sense to to look at all, you know, make sure that we're keeping ahead on on the landscape, uh, the wave pool landscape, and making sure you know how's that you know how's that gonna affect you know the, the the customer experience and you know maybe if we were going to do one in x number of years should we be looking at a different technology and all those kind of things um but fundamentally for what right right now for what we're wanting to achieve and the market that we're um that we're we're in it particularly in the u k um uh I can't see yet. Huge amount of reason to to move away from anything like that, um, but I'm you know I'm super interested. the mo- the most important thing for me is about making sure that people are doing stuff right. Pe- people, it doesn't matter what technology is. It's that's about like creating a really good experience. But actually, the way in which you do it, the sort of business model around it, and and actually the cultural side of surfing, just. I really, really hope that people are going to be doing it with the right, with the right um, passion, enthusiasm, and um, doing the right thing. Really, I, I just the thing that fills me with dread is when some, at some stage, somebody will do one, and it'll really bastardize the the surfing scene and surf culture and all the rest of it, which is contentious anyway. Um, but uh, I really want to stay abreast of the whole um, market, so that hopefully we can influence that a bit and go. Actually, if you do it, if you do it in the right way, you know, there's absolutely no point us churning out waves and you know using fossil fuel that potentially is going to be you know acidifying the coastlines. You know, it just it's just crazy to be doing that. We really, if we're going to be creating waves, we need to make sure that we are. That's not at the detriment of the natural world and simple things like that and, and hopefully putting down some very clear red lines around what's acceptable and what isn't in our eyes and i know it's subjective but um in our eyes what what good practice looks like and ho- hopefully trying to influence it and showing how actually the market will later dictate that you know um it's better to do it you'll, you'll it'll cost you more right now but actually the true cost of doing it right um will be will will be paid many many times later um and and rounding off the figures in in you know when you start looking at the huge capital cost in building something like this actually it, it it's something that should be sort of um a real red line for everyone i think um uh, in terms of energy production is you know is the biggie really absolutely
0: but now how do you think we've got what six wave pools in the world that are open right now Mm -hmm. um um, how do you think wave pools are going to affect the future of surfing um i think i think they'll they'll add to it i think they'll add
1: it's it's a it's an it's another tool in the tool chest to be able to improve surfing i think I think for me, the, 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 the real opportunity is around that accessibility. It's the accessibility for surfing to people who just can't, they're either scared, they're fearful, they don't have access because of location, um, maybe they've got um, ability problems, you know, uh, and, and creating a safe environment to be able to allow people to enter um, the surf market and, and experience surfing for the first time. And also that sort of health and safety is like teaching people in a very safe, enclosed environment about, um, you know, water safety and uh, all the things that go along with um, with that. And also uh, environmental health, making sure that good messaging around, you know, you've got a captive audience of hundreds of thousands of people every year. You should absolutely, uh, you know, it's, it's you absolutely should be, you know, uh, Gung ho about that messaging, and making sure that when they go to the beach, they do do a litter pick. They do respect the locals. They do buy from local, you know, buy local produce to support the economy. Those kind of things. Um, you know, that's the very, very minimum that uh, we should be uh, um, uh, messaging to, to to customers and surfers who are using it. So I think there's a real opportunity to leverage in some way some important messaging. Um, and also making sure that we're not just creating surfers, but creating really good surfers, surfers who care. Um, and that that to me is, um, is so important because people will enter the surf market um, and it's going to be growing. It's going to be growing with the Olympics, all the rest of it. And what we want to be is part of um, creating surfers that really care
0: but i mean obviously we're going to be growing uh, the surfing is going to grow 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 obviously because of wave pools are going to um, help a lot so when you go and look at the ocean in about 10 years time i mean it's already crowded i know it's down here in portugal it's just nuts you know it's crazy and um it's going to be probably twice as bad in the ocean but i'm not saying it's because of wave pools i'm just saying it's because of the general trend up
1: yeah 100 i mean uh, i was talking to chris hines who's dear friend and you know um help from the start with, um, with, with the wave. And, you know, he's, you know, I spoke to him yesterday and, and, a, an average day he would normally down at Porth Town, he'd probably be seeing 20, 20 30 people around this sort of time of the year on a, on a fairly busy day. It's like, it's packed, you know, there's 60 to a hundred people. Um, and there's only three or four peaks. Uh, and you know, he got one wave, got one wave in, in, you know, in, several hours worth of being in there um and that's and that's the effect of covid everybody being at home able to you know they're able to they don't have to go to work at the moment so they can pick their swells and and it's already crowded it's just um it's just very much focused at the moment um so i think you know in many ways you know i've got loads of people who now just surf in the wave now they don't they barely go to the ocean anymore they just stay in their own local spot and they're really happy and they're happy we're happy and we're there to support them and you know make sure that they're, they're getting what they they want out of out of the wave
0: brilliant well nick thanks so much for coming on I really appreciate your time it's uh, fantastic to hear about the wave a total pleasure of course for, you. for your curiosity and stoke